0: Let's turn to Mark chapter 6. We're in verse 30. As we continue through the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6. Verse 30. And let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. That you're the bread of life. That you are the authority over the storm that you're the one who heals our brokenness. And we need you. We need you this morning. Just as much as the day that we were saved, the day that we were born again. These are your words, and we ask that you would speak to us through the power of your word as we study together. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning to study with me. We're going to read through this section of scripture together and engage your heart and engage your mind. The disciples are at an interesting point in their journey. They've been sent out by Christ to go from the lecture to the lab. They've been hearing Christ teach. Now it's time for them to go out. They come back from their first short-term mission trip being sent out in twos. They're excited to share with Jesus all that they've experienced. Also, there's the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. So you have this bittersweet scenario. The disciples so excited about what the Father's done, but also the death of John the Baptist. And they're requesting to have some rest. Jesus is identifying it's a time that they need some rest. But rest is going to be redefined. Rest is going to come in a way that they wouldn't expect. So let's begin in verse 30. It says, Then the apostle gathered to Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. There's a change in how the disciples are referred to. Now they're called apostles. What's the difference? A disciple's one who follows Christ. An apostle is one who's sent out by Christ. Apostle means to be sent out. So they're referred to as apostles. They come back and they share what they did and also what they taught. And notice that the doing was before the teaching. The actions were before the teaching. Why would someone want to hear what we have to say? Hopefully it's because of our actions and our actions reflecting Christ and the salt and light of who Christ is. In Luke's gospel, he records a little bit more detail. Jesus shares a warning with the disciples at this point and says, I know you're excited that you saw all of these things happen through your life, but be careful because Satan fell like lightning in a moment. Be careful of pride and rejoice not because you've seen these great signs, but because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That That's really our true so- source of joy. There'll be seasons when God uses our life and seasons when he doesn't use our life. And now in verse 31, Jesus says to them, Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. What would these words sound like to the disciples? I thought you'd never ask. Really? We get to come away? and just rest for a while, we're going to go to an isolated place, we're going to go to a deserted place, and just be able to share these things that we've, we've experienced. They're so busy, there's so much happening in the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, that they don't even have time to eat. This is the second time in Mark's gospel that he records that. Anticipate rest in your life, you know? Sometimes we plan ahead for seasons of rest, don't we? Do you guys have calendar meetings at home in your marriage with your kids? Try to get everything that's happening for November, December. We had that yesterday morning, Amber and I are just looking at all the things that are going on, all the places that the kids need to get, that we need to get, all the things that that we need to get done. And and you start feeling this need and desire for, for rest, don't you? Maybe you set aside a little bit of time, and you say, "Here's some time off of work. You know, here's some time where the kids are going to going to be off school. We're, we're going to have time to be able to rest." Luke nine ten tells us that they went to Bethsaida. They sailed to Bethsaida. It's where the Jordan comes into the Sea of Galilee and enters the Sea of Galilee. It's four miles by sailing and eight miles around shore on foot. So they departed to a deserted place. In a boat by themselves. I picture them beginning to be able to relax. Something relaxing about being on a boat and being on the water and on the the Sea of Galilee. Maybe this is the first cruise that's recorded in the Bible. I don't know. Verse thirty-three, that but the multitude saw that they were departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all of the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. This shows the hunger that the multitudes have for Christ. They're going along shore. They're making the eight-mile journey. They're doing it in a hurry. They're they're running because they know that the boat is tend to get there faster. You get it. You understand that something's going to happen to their rest. This isolated time with Jesus in verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. What possibly could be going on in the minds of the disciples as they get to their destination, place of rest, only to find a huge multitude? We're going to find 5,000 men, not including women and children. This isn't 50 people. This isn't 100 people, even 1,000 people. Oh no, here goes the rest. Here comes the, there goes that isolated time, time with Christ. And there's maybe nothing more disappointing than when all of a sudden your anticipated rest gets ruined. Maybe you're anticipating some rest this afternoon while watching the Broncos game. And what if they lose to the stinking chargers, right? And this anticipated rest and celebration turns to to frustration, right? Maybe you've got this time set aside to have a vacation, go up in the mountains a little bit, or have saved up the money to get out to the coast and see, see the ocean, and then all of a sudden, your, your spouse invites your mother-in-law. That got a little uncomfortable just right then. You're like, <laughs> maybe, maybe I should laugh, but I don't know if I should laugh, like, you know? And in your mind, you're like, I love my mother in law, but there went my rest. You know, it they, they just went out the went, went. family vacation's kind of an oxymoron. The two maybe shouldn't go together, but they do, right? Or you get sick. All of a sudden, you're, you're there and you packed everything up and you're puking your guts out. There's nothing really worse than being sick away from home, right? And now all you can think about is, I wish I was home. I wish I was back in my own bed. I think the disciples were probably wrestling a little bit here. Like, oh man, I was really looking forward to this time of rest with Christ. What is Christ's response though? He sees the multitude. He's the one who has suggested the rest. He's the one that's initiated this time alone. And he sees them as a shepherd. He sees them with compassion, and he's moved with compassion. And compassion, in the Greek, it's a strong word. It's intense with emotion. It's, it's tender mercies. I think the equivalent for us and the way we communicate with one another is when something grips our heart. We'd say that that touched my heart. That moved my heart. I, I was burdened. And when we come to this passage, we very quickly get to this place where We feel challenged and convicted for our lack of compassion for others, but I think that's not where we begin. We begin with this understanding that Jesus has compassion towards them and he has compassion towards us. Do you understand and believe and live in the fact that Jesus looks at you and the need in your life and says, I have compassion towards you, and I'm moved with compassion, that compassion so strong that I'm going to take action in your life. We tend to think that God's mad at us. We tend to think that God is looking at us saying, get your act together. What do you think was going on in the lives of this multitude? Do you think that they were perfect and all put together? I bet they were broken people. I bet there were some marriages that were struggling. I bet there were some people that were battling addiction. And in that place where their life was controlled by, by alcohol... I bet some tempers probably flared as these 5,000 plus people tried to race along the shore to get pole position to be the first one when Jesus came off the boat. Do you think Jesus saw the mess? Do you think he understood the mess? Absolutely. And his response was that he was moved with compassion because they didn't have a shepherd. So he began to teach them. This is the way that Jesus began to care for them was through teaching. Jesus never wasted an opportunity to share truth, to share knowledge of the Father, knowledge of of who he was. Jesus has compassion on us. And as we experience his compassion, then I think we're moved to have compassion on others. In verse 35, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. (laughs) The disciples politely interrupt. Maybe they're having a discussion with themselves saying, does he understand the day's about gone? It's getting dark. I haven't had anything to eat all day. Hey, Hey Jesus, I think it's time to wrap this up here. We need to send these people on their way. This is a deserted place. It's isolated. There's no fast food here. There's no Chipotle. No Quadoba with free guacamole. It's Sunday. Chick-fil-A is closed. We got to get, get this, this going. We got to send them, them away. And a lot of times when the need is presented in front of us, we can come to the Lord and say, Jesus, will you please just send them away? This wasn't the planned ministry time. The planned time to serve is when you sent us out on this circuit, this short-term missions trip. This is rest time. So please, just send this need away. And then Christ responds to them in verse 37, but he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Probably not what they thought Jesus would say to them. All right, 12 disciples, I want you to feed these guys. I don't want you to send this need away. I want you to take ownership of the need. And that's oftentimes how God works in our lives. It's how he works in my life. Saying, Eric, I know you want to send this need away. And it's not convenient for you right now. But I want you to own the need. Yeah, I want you to fulfill the need. I want you to feed them. I want you to care for them. I want you to help them. Take ownership of the need. And not every need, but those needs that he's laying upon our hearts. And they said to him, shall we go and buy bread, 200 denarii worth of bread, and give them something to eat? It seems that this is a bit sarcastic. It's not, this isn't sincere. They're saying, what are we going to go do? You know, buy 200 denarii worth of bread. A denarii was about a day's wage. So it's 200 days of salary, eight months of, of salary, Hey, we don't have this kind of money. What are we going to do? Just just go buy bread. And even if we had the money, there's no place to buy bread. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said to him, five and two fish. Jesus is very strategic. He's very thoughtful in this. Wanting them to take ownership of the need, but also realizing their lack of resources. And very quickly, when God's calling us into something, we get intimidated and we go, I I don't have the necessary resources to do this. Here's this tremendous need, and I've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. And this is a process that God's bringing us through where we don't look to ourselves to fill the need, but we look to Jesus to be able to, to fill the need. The other gospels tell us that a boy, he shared his lunch. He shared his five loaves and his two fish. He had that food with him, And he gave it to the disciples who in turn gave it to Jesus. It's not about how much resources we have or we don't have. Because really, what are our resources anyway? They're nothing. We can do nothing apart from Christ. It's have we placed what we do have into the hands of Christ. These five loaves and two fish are going to be in the hands of Jesus. He's going to bless them and break them. And that's where the miracle is going to occur. In verse 39, then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. Every detail is important in the scriptures. Why did Jesus have them sit down in groups? Because this was going to be done in an orderly fashion. Not easy to feed 5,000 plus women and children. So here, here's a group of 50. Here's a group of 100. I want you to sit down and wait your turn and everybody's going to get something to eat. I mean, this could have been a buffet stampede. You know what I'm saying? But instead, it's done in an orderly fashion. God's a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave to them to his disciples to set before them all, and the two fish he divided among them all. It's in the hands of Jesus. He looks to the Father. Father, would you bless these five loaves and two fish, begins to break them, hand it to the disciples over and over again. This would take hours to feed this many people, distribute this to, a miracle takes place, Five loaves and two fish end up being enough to feed everyone with leftovers included. Every miracle in the Gospels is pointing us to a spiritual truth, to a spiritual reality. What's the spiritual truth here? Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the bread of life. This is a Jewish audience. They would go back to another time when God fed His people in an isolated place in the wilderness. Moses, asking from manna, bread from heaven. Every morning, God would provide this manna to the children of Israel. Jesus is here saying, I'm the greater than Moses. I'm God. And not just this loaf of bread that provides your physical need. I am what is going to sustain you. I'm your portion. I'm your bread of life. And that's true for us this morning, isn't it? We, we miss that and we forget that. Where is real rest found? There's a great value in rest. The Bible teaches us to rest. God's a God of Sabbath and he's a God of rest. But the purpose of that rest is for us to not look to the vacation, but the vacation to be an opportunity to enjoy the bread of life. And inside of serving and inside of the busyness of life, to be able to find ourselves satisfied in Christ. Jesus did provide rest and he's providing it through the truth that he is the bread of life and in verse 42 and 43 so they all ate and were filled every one of them not only did they eat but they were stuffed they were filled they had more than enough the feeling that we get at thanksgiving and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of fish Jesus says, guys, I want you to pick up the, the leftovers, the fragments. Showing us good stewardship. If your mom made you eat leftovers, it was probably because she was a Jesus follower. And she said, we're going to be good food, stewards of this food, right? But Jesus was teaching them something. Twelve disciples, twelve baskets left over. Each disciple gets a basket. Guys, you didn't think there was any way that I could provide for this need. But Everybody's full. And you each get your own basket as an example of my provision. Write this down, pray it through. Fulfillment is found in distributing the bread of life. The disciples get filled here. They find rest here. But fulfillment was found as they gave away this bread to others, symbolizing the bread of life. And I think that's where we find a a source of fulfillment and rest, isn't it? It is giving away Jesus. Jesus giving away Jesus. The whole nature of our relationship with Christ is that he saves us so that he can use us. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What God is teaching you and what he's sharing you, are we giving it away to others? Yes, to believers. I read this verse today. It really challenged me. It really convicted me. It really encouraged me. I want to pass that along with you to be able to, to share the love of Christ with someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior? Do you know God loves you? He sent his son to, to die for you. I sense that you're, you're hurting and you're going through a difficult time in your life. Man, what's, what's up? I want to talk with you. I want to hear your heart. And at the end of those conversations, what happens? We find ourselves with this deep sense of peace, this deep sense of joy and refreshment. But what happens when all of a sudden Jesus is just for me? It's just just you and me, Jesus. And we don't look to give Jesus away. There isn't that same level of refreshment. So next time we're at that place where we're going, I'm wiped out. I don't have time for this. I can't fulfill this need. Press into this story. Press into the reality of Jesus. You're the bread of life. I want to experience you right now. I want to give you away and watch you do work in and through my life. For for some, this may be completely a new concept, a new challenge, something that we haven't entered into, to pray with somebody else. You're saying, I've never prayed with anybody else, even my my own family. I've never shared a a Bible verse with with somebody else. I've never told the good news to, to somebody else. I'll let pastors do that. I'll let missionaries do that. You know, if people work at a, a non-profit, I'll let, I'll let them do that. But, but there's no way that I could do that. And God's saying, look, I've saved you. My spirit lives inside of you. I'm ready to, to use you. And people are a lot m- more open than we think. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in that and give away the bread of life. There's fulfillment in it. Verse 44. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men not including women and children. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. Why does Jesus shut this down all of a sudden? Sending the disciples away on the Sea of Galilee, him going to spend time with the Father. There would be a strong desire from this multitude to make Jesus king, to try to appoint him as king. He'd be the bread king. He'd be the one that would meet all of our, our physical needs. And so Jesus is saying, this is wrapped up. It's time to go. And he sends them on the boat to go to the other side. He gives them the instruction, go to the other side. In verse 46, and when he'd sent them away, he departed to a mountain to pray. We see this again and again in the life of Jesus. Time alone with the Father. Just like there's a time to meet a need, and a time to distribute the bread of life, there's a time to be alone with the Father. Jesus shows us the value of that and his desire to be with the Father. Also, he's showing to us that he's praying for the disciples. He sends the disciples into the storm, and I believe he was lifting up the disciples in prayer as well, as he knows that they're going to be in this difficult time. Scripture tells us that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for you. That's encouraging to know that he's praying for us. Oftentimes we don't know if others are are praying for us. We trust him at their word. Hey, I'm praying for you. I hope you meant it when you said that. And hopefully it wasn't like awkward. Okay, you're sharing your heart with me. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to say praying for you, right? (laughs) Hopefully it's not just the, the courtesy. But we know that Christ is praying, don't we? he's going to the Father, hey, would you be with that gang at RMC? Would you meet their needs? Would you provide encouragement? He ever lives to make intercession for us. Back to the disciples, now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. Then he saw them straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. We must commend the disciples here, Jesus says, go to the other side. Now they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And they experience a tremendous wind. The easy thing to do would be to give up at this point. To turn around and just let the wind take you back to shore. But they had a command from Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to the other side. So they keep rowing against the wind. Through the night. Into the middle of the night. Because Jesus had commanded them. Some have described this as long obedience in the right direction. This is the Christian life sometimes. God, you've called me to this. This is what your word says. I'm not giving up. The easy thing to do would be just to go with the wind. I'm giving up. For some of you this morning, it may be in your marriage. You meant your vows when you committed to God and others and entered into that covenant but now it's difficult, now it's hard. You even have friends that are telling you, why don't you get divorced? And you feel like you have every reason to go ahead and file that paperwork, but yet there's something inside of you that says, man, I'm not giving up. God called me to this, and I'm going to row against the wind. Some of you may be very difficult with one of your children or several of your children. And in a sense, you're just like, man, I'm, I'm taking my hand off the row. I'm not going to continue to press into their life. I'm tired of praying for them. I'm tired of investing in them. It's time for them to learn the hard way. But yet the Spirit of God is saying, it's for such a time as this. Row against the wind. Keep being faithful in their life. Some of you have a job that you absolutely hate. And every time you escape from it, God keeps you there. Why is God keeping me in this place? You feel the stirring from the Lord. Be faithful in that place. Continue. And sometimes in the Christian life, God is going to allow us to struggle in the midst of the storm to develop perseverance in our lives. Jesus sees them struggling against the wind. And he doesn't necessarily see it as a bad thing. And that's a little bit disturbing, isn't it? Like, hey, Jesus, don't you see me struggling here? Don't you see me rowing against the wind? Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. The fourth watch of the night begins at three in the morning. So Jesus didn't come to them immediately. He waits till about three in the morning. Walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Two things are amazing about this. One, Jesus is walking on the sea. He is walking on the waves that are threatening the lives of the disciples. Jesus is the bread of life, and Jesus has authority over the storm. All things are underneath his feet. So the storm I'm going through, the storm you're going through, it's underneath the feet of Jesus, and we have to be reminded about that. The second thing that's amazing is Jesus would have cruised right past him. It's like, you guys are struggling. You're being obedient. You're headed in the right direction. Perseverance is being developed in your life you're good. I'm just going to walk right on by. And we're going, what? Really? You're going to let him struggle this one out? And we find in verse 48, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. We have to understand the disciples are experiencing this in real time. We know Jesus walked on water. They've never experienced that before. They don't expect somebody to walk on water. So they're talking amongst themselves. They're going, could it be a ghost? Is it Jesus? And so they cry out. And Jesus responds to them crying out in the midst of the storm. Let that sink in. Christ intervened because they cried out. Christ is waiting for us to cry out. He's desiring for us to cry out. He's he's a gentleman. He responds to our cries. So don't just assume, hey, Jesus, you know what I'm going through. You can help me if you want. But the Psalms are filled with David and other people crying out to God, saying, God, this, this is where I'm at. Please help me. Please come. Please rescue. Be, be my refuge. One of the other things that we learn in this two verses in 49 and 50 is it's hard to see Jesus in the storm. It's hard to distinguish that it's Jesus in the midst of the storm. Isn't that true? When things are going good in our lives and there's no trouble, we're like, wow, Jesus, you're the bread of life. You're the one that has authority over the storm. When it's the middle of the night and it's three in the morning and you're rowing against the wind and there's fog and there's waves, the storm is still raging at this point. We're like, Jesus, is that you? Did you really want me in this place? Am I really going in the right direction? I believe you're good, but I'm starting to Struggle. I'm starting to wrestle. I'm starting to doubt that a little bit. And that's the reality of the storm. That's the tension of the storm. But immediately he talked with them. So as they cry out, he talks with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. We need to hear the voice of Jesus in the midst of the storm. Really? Did Jesus say, Be of good cheer? He said, Hey, it's all right. Smile you're okay, I got this. That seems counterintuitive to the the storm. Maybe Jesus would have said something like, oh, this is a bad one, you know? There's real cause to freak out here. I believe that that would be Christ's message to us, even in the midst of the storm. Be of good cheer, take joy. I've got this. When I'm going through a storm, an intense storm, a lot of times it gets me all spun up. My soul feels like I'm inside of the washing machine and I'm on spin cycle. Thinking of the worst case scenario. But when I step back and hear from Jesus in the midst of the storm, I begin to think things like, is this storm that I'm going through changing the character and nature of Christ? No, it's not. The storm doesn't have the ability to be able to do that. Does this storm change the reality of heaven? No, it doesn't. Jesus has prepared a place for me. But that comes through hearing from the Lord. Be of good cheer. And then he says, it's I, don't be afraid. We have the promise from Jesus that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So even though we're having a hard time seeing Christ and distinguishing Christ, he's with us in the midst of the storm. He's a good shepherd that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is with you. Church, Jesus is with you. In verse 51, then... He went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Do you think that they experienced fulfillment and rest in this moment? But it was rest redefined. It was rest in a way that they didn't anticipate. They anticipated rest coming through a time alone with Jesus in in isolation. But there was actually rest that came through this storm. Another thing to consider this morning is fulfillment and rest is found in perseverance. They came to this place of amazement and fulfillment because they persevered, because they didn't give up, because they continued to row in the direction that God has called them to. As many of you know, I I grew up in southern Oregon. It's a, a beautiful location. I've always lived in the west. God's been gracious to me to to live in. Oregon, Utah, Idaho, Colorado. I love the mountains. Lord bless those in Kansas and Oklahoma, but thankfully he didn't call me there, right? So when I moved here to to, to Colorado to be a youth pastor at Rocky Mountain Calvary, I was 21, just about ready to turn 22, and I couldn't wait to hike all these beautiful mountains that we have. Got a book about our 14ers. It was a while ago. It's back when you actually needed a map. You remember that? My phone couldn't tell me where to go. So I get my map and I head out to go hike my first 14er. And I get up there and everybody's coming off the mountain and I'm going up the mountain because I didn't, didn't take the time to find out that you're supposed to hike 14ers in the morning because of thunderstorms. I was by myself, didn't take anybody else with me. Looking at the trail map, and go, there's one trail where you can just go right up the face of the mountain. That's for me, that's the shortest one. I'm going to do that. So I'm going up the face of the mountain and I started to feel pain that I've never felt before in my life. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff outdoors, but the altitude and the hiking and my my stomach's starting to hurt. Didn't Hadn't drank a lot of water, probably a little bit dehydrated. I'm getting a headache. I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing? This is awful. This was the worst decision of my life. But I'm looking up and I see the summit. I'm going to keep going. I keep going, keep going. I get to the summit And it was a false summit. The sucker was a false summit. I wasn't anywhere close to the top. Ah, man, still in all this pain, decided to keep going. And then I got to the top, I made it to the top. And there was fulfillment in perseverance. And I marveled at the beauty. I'd never seen anything like that before in, in my life. And then when I hiked 14 years in the future, I always had that in mind. This is leading to the top, and it's going to be worth it when I get to the top. And I think this is one of those moments for the disciples. Remember, Jesus is teaching them here. This is foundational in their lives, and they're going, it was worth it being obedient to Christ. It was worth it persevering. It led to this moment where I experienced God calming the storm in a tremendous way. I don't know when the breakthrough is going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I do know that perseverance is worth it. And it leads to these type of moments in our lives of understanding Christ in a greater way. That's what they're seeing. It's not circumstantial. It's not just about the circumstance changing. But they encountered Christ in a greater way. In verse 52, For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. They marveled that Jesus could calm the storm because they hadn't appropriately processed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. How many times does that happen in our lives as well? We're blown away that God would be faithful in the storm, and he's saying, don't you get it? I provided salvation for you. I'm the bread of life. You could count on me in the midst of the storm. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of the Gennesaret and anchored there. This region was the region of the demoniac. He was from the Gennesaret. Remember, that region wanted Jesus to leave initially. Christ asked the demoniac to stay. I think he had an effective ministry. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to whatever, to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. The demoniac got the word out of what Christ had done in his life, and now people are ready for Christ. To where they understood who Jesus was, that they could bring their brokenness to Jesus. They could bring the brokenness of others to Jesus. There was something for the disciples on the other side. Third thing about rest and fulfillment. Fulfillment is experiencing what God has in store on the other side. God's speaking to us this morning. Saying, look, I've got this all lined up. This madness, this craziness, this chaos in your life. I got it all lined up. I'm teaching you. There's something for you on the other side. There was ministry on the other side. I'm sure the disciples were going, oh, this is good. This is good. We got to experience the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus calming the storm, and now this whole region is being impacted by Christ. They're bringing their brokenness to Christ. Do you know this about Christ, that you can bring your brokenness to him? Does our brokenness stop the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior? Do we struggle with sin? Yes. Do we commit sin? Yes. Is there hurt in our lives, brokenness in our lives? Yes. Notice what Jesus did here. It's everybody who touched him. It was personal. Jesus could have spoken and people would have been healed. But instead he waited and allowed for them to, to touch him because he's into relationship. It would have been much more time efficient for him to just speak. But that's not the way that he does things. He wants us to come to him and touch him. To enter into deeper relationship with him to allow him to minister to the brokenness in our lives. Wouldn't it be wonderful in Colorado Springs if the message for our community was this, is you can bring your brokenness to Christ. You can touch Christ and he'll heal your brokenness. He'll forgive you of your sins. Do you think that that's what unbelievers think about Christ? What if we as the church, not just our church, but the body of Christ as a whole, we understood this is, this is our message. This is who Christ is. We get to bring people to Christ. You're in bondage to addiction. You're in bondage to drugs and alcohol. You're in bondage to that pot shop. You've got to go back. You've got to go back for more and more and more. You're in bondage to your anger. You're in bondage to materialism. Your marriage is falling apart. There's abuse in your life as a child community that's hurting, we say, you know what? What you need is Jesus. We want to bring you to Jesus. You need to touch Jesus. What a wonderful Savior. Church, we've had a great time this morning, and you know why? Because we've got to study together about Jesus. We get to experience Jesus as the bread of life. He is the bread of life that satisfies our soul, and we get to give him away. And there's rest and fulfillment and found in giving Jesus away. Apply that this morning. How is God leading you to share him with others? We've got to experience Jesus as the one who has the authority over the storm. He walks on the waves that rock our lives, and we cry out to Jesus. We hear from Jesus. Hear from him if you're in the midst of the storm. Be of good cheer. He's with you. And we've come to understand he is the answer to our brokenness. We bring our brokenness to Christ. Others get to bring their brokenness to Christ as well. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread of life. It never gets old, never gets stale. And this morning, we enter into that joy that you're the satisfaction for our soul. As good as times away are, nothing can compare to you. We want to give you away. We want to share you with others. Would you give us opportunities and boldness to do that? Jesus, I know that there's many that are in the midst of the storm this morning. Jesus, would you come to them? Would you give them strength to persevere? Lord, would you meet us? And right now, let's bring our brokenness to Christ. Maybe there's an area inside of you where it just disgusts you. You're like, I can't believe I'm still struggling with this. Maybe there's a part of your life that just doesn't work. It's lame. You're like, I just can't seem to get a handle on finances. I just can't seem to get my mind around marriage or singleness or or my work. We know where the brokenness is in our lives. Let's, Let's take a moment to... Give that to Christ. Jesus, we desire to touch you. Not just wanting freedom from our struggle or our brokenness, but to to be in relationship with you. We lift up the brokenness of our community. Lord, we know suicide is such an issue here in El Paso County bring that brokenness to you. Lord, we know drugs and alcohol, it's destroying lives and sexual sin. Lord, you see all of it. God, would you touch lives? Would you help us to get that message out that you're the answer? We love you. We, we leave in that attitude of celebration of being in good cheer because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.